Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 307, air date June 15th, 2018. It's live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Halsey Live, episode 115 with uh, Dr. Shivi, Shiva Ayadori. Right? I got Shiva that right this time. Ayadori. Shiva Ayadori. I'm, I'm doing better at this, but... He is running against Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts for senator, and we've been following his campaign. We actually are really, really excited about his campaign. And when I saw the vote for a real Indian uh, bumper stickers and things like that, I, I was I was sold right then and there. And then looking into your background, I mean, just to say impressive is the understatement of the century. Um, with us tonight, we also have Debbie Aldrich, the the host of Freedom's Voice, and. Oops, sorry, I got my. I thought I was turning my sound down, and I turned it up. Sorry about that, Alty. No problem. But as we always start off our show, um, Doctor Iadori, please. You need to uh, call me Shiva. 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 That's an easy one for Make me to remember. I'm Jewish, yeah. so that that's a that's a very Jewish word. So um, Shiva, if you could please let everyone know where they can find your website and where they can uh, get in touch with you or donate to your campaign. Sure. So our website is Shiva, the number four, Senate.com. I'll spell it S-H-I-V as in Victor, A, the number four, Senate.com. Um, by the way, if you go to that website, we have this thing called the Real Indian Road Warrior Kit for 25 bucks. Includes shipping. You get two magnetic signs, which has a picture of me and Elizabeth Warren, which says only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. You get, bumper <laughs> sticker, you get two buttons and you also get a yard sign. So you should get them because... Um, you know, it's a great way to demonstrate that you also stand up for free speech. You may know, Halsey, uh, in, on April 5th, um, the city of Cambridge said that we had to take down that slogan off our campaign bus. And so uh, we didn't just sit around like most politicians do. We actually sued the city in federal court mm -hmm. uh, uh, for violating the U.S. Constitution, the Massachusetts Constitution. And then we escalated it to also file a preliminary injunction, injunction on May 4th. They caved in and surrendered and rescinded the order, which was a big victory. And interesting enough, the mainstream media didn't want to talk about our victory, right? Because mm -hmm. they don't want to uh, inspire people that you can't stand up and fight City Hall. But so, so our thing is everyone should support for themselves the right to free speech. And it's a great way of doing that. We call it the real Indian road warrior kid. You may have some people, uh, some people, the vocal minority throw their finger at you, but it's a great way to get back uh, and stand up for the first amendment. I'll, I'll be ordering one in, in an hour. And Debbie, how about you? Let everyone know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Debbie A. Aldridge, A-L-D-R-I-C-H. You can also find me on Freedom's Voice, Debbie Aldridge on YouTube, also on um, freedomsvoice.tv, the website, and on iTunes under Debbie Aldridge. Very, very nice. Let's jump right into it. How are the polls looking for you? Well, here's the interesting thing. You know, uh, we're the ones who've made this race interesting. Mm -hmm. The last poll that was the poll that was done in November, we were polling at 29% um, after we'd announced we were independent and the Republicans were around 31, 32. Now, after the lawsuit we did, when I'm out there handing cards, I would say one out of three, sometimes one out of two people know about our campaign. It just escalated our visibility. Mm -hmm. WBUR, which is a NPR affiliate, however, couple of weeks ago, they do a poll. Now, one of the most important questions they ask in a poll is your visibility. Like, how many of you have heard of Halsey? How many of you heard of Debbie? How many of you heard of Shiva? Well, 
In this poll, they asked how many people have heard of Elizabeth Warren, Charlie Baker, the other candidates, and they left out my name because the visibility percentage determines whether you get on the debate. For so sure. it's fascinating. So WBUR, which is federally funded, essentially is, in my opinion, and I think our, our lawyers are looking at it, has violated the FEC uh, you know, uh, core guidelines on this and probably the law. So mm -hmm. we're going to go after them. So the issue is, you know, get on the debate stage, you need 15% of more. So they didn't even ask about us. And later on, they asked us about the poll. And for an independent candidate, we're polling at about 10% against Warren. But what's fascinating, we were at 29%. So I know we haven't gone down, we've mm -hmm. gone up. So it's a completely rigged poll. But that's what you expect. And, and it's indicative of how uh, afraid they are of our independent campaign. Both parties, Republican and Democrats, essentially bully citizens, you know, the majority of Massachusetts is independent. And what they do is they tell people you have to vote for the better of two evils. Well, they don't need to do that because the Shiva for Senate campaign actually offers a significant alternative to both fakes, you know, the fake Indian, and we also have the fake um, Republicans. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I love supporting independent candidates and ones that have a viable path to victory, which I see you having, um, are even more exciting. You know, because, because well, also, the loyalty is not the right place. Look, the bottom line is, you know, I'm running, you know, I've done, I went to MIT, did a bunch of degrees, was fortunate to get my PhD, went through the public school system in India, came from India with nothing, you know, have been working all my life. I used to mow lawns in New Jersey, you know, was a carpenter growing up, you know, used to do, uh, you know, painting homes, was a programmer where I created the first email system. So I'm uh, in New Jersey, right? So. What's interesting is what, the reason we say only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian, it's really not about identity. It's about this integrity issue that mm -hmm. people think it's okay to cut in line. I mean, I've worked hard all my life. I'm sure you have and Debbie, you have, right? These people do not work hard. They lie, they cheat, and then they put this veneer as though because they're at Harvard or they have their lawyer lobbyists, they're part of this clique that they can get away with it. And we need to smash that because this country was built by people who actually worked hard, who you know, strived, who had grit and determination, who believed in excellence. Not these people. These people are not Americans, in my opinion. They're basically completely you know, against the American dream. They think they can cut in line. I mean, Elizabeth Warren cut in line, right? Mm -hmm. She took away another Native American's job. And that's why people like her support sanctuary cities. Mm -hmm. They believe it's okay to cut in line. And that is not the America that my parents came to. And it's not the America that everyday people believe in. It's, you know, it, it, they take advantage of poor blacks. They take advantage of poor whites. They could take advantage of women all mm -hmm. across the board. So our campaign, you know, I have all the data analytics. We could go after left or right, but we're going after everyone because there's a whole majority of people who have had enough of both of these parties. Mm -hmm. They need to be stopped being bullied. They're being Absolutely. bullied into vote for one or the other. Absolutely. Hey, um, Dr. Shiva, talking about the... Um, it, it, it sort of is and isn't about identity politics because Elizabeth Warren sort of hijacked an identity that she's never proven she's a part of. And, you know, Obama kind of did the same thing. He went to uh, one of the most prestigious private schools, to Punahou, which my parents, I, I went to high school in Hawaii. I graduated in Virginia, though. But I didn't know that. Yes. And my parents wanted to send me actually to Punahou, very prestigious. They actually wanted to send me to an Ivy League girls school. And I kept saying no, because I didn't want to be with all those girls with their horses and their trainers and all that stuff. I jumped horses too, but that's just not my personality. Um, I didn't go to Punahou, but Obama ran on as if he was like all the other 
black people in America. Well, he was not. He's not 100% black. He is half white. He came from a very elitist family, a very liberal family, and his father uh, was from Kenya. There's nobody in his family who was ever a slave in this country. And yet he's played that or pandered to those people, to that identity politics, which is really shame. And you're exactly right. They've hijacked, many of them have hijacked. It's not to say that there aren't real issues with some people, but we've never seen Obama's records either, how he fared in in Harvard and whether or not he used, you know, affirmative action to get into school when he came from a very elite you know, high school. Yeah, look, these people are not really Americans, okay? When I mean Americans, the people who get up and they work hard, they strive for a better day, they all subvert the system. You know, they play games with the system. They do not play fair. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've created a whole generation of people who they've taught that it's okay to lie and cheat and subvert the system. You look at, you know, the veterans in this country you know, I know what it, you know, I, I'm not a veteran, but I have to thank them because without them, you know, I would not have been able to come to this country. They're always the last in line. And I know what that feels like. You know, you look at blacks and minorities in this country. They're the last in line, the level of incarceration and the fact that they like to uh, keep black people on plantations. And what's occurred to poor whites in this country is devastating. The amount of opioid addiction, uh, the infant mortality. It's growing for poor whites versus everyone in the world, it's going down. But that's what they do. It keeps them compliant. It kind of goes back to some of these rules of radicals that if you keep them dependent, you keep them compliant. And that's right. kind of what we're fighting about. But you're absolutely right when it comes to both sides of the aisles. I ran for Congress here in Utah. I'm living in Utah right now. I ran as a Republican. And I can tell you, I was actually uninvited to a debate that I had RSVP to twice, that I had every right to be there. Um, and it's funny now because everybody wants my endorsement that's running in Utah now for various offices, including wow. Congress. But um, I was actually uninvited and I was like, no, I'm going to be at this debate. Oh, well, you can sit in the audience. And I said, no, I'm not sitting in the audience. I'm going to sit at this debate. And I had to sit there and have a you know, uh, argument with him. And then my <clears throat> husband recognized one of the organizers and mentioned it to them. And I will tell you though, that the chair of the district there, so not the RNC chair for the state, but the district, um, he saw when he was asking for questions for me, saw a woman, she was the one who was has hassling me getting into the debate in the first place. And I did participate, but they were going to start with me at another segment in the debate. And she read a question down. He took it from her. He read it, flipped it over, and he said, we're going to skip uh, Miss Aldridge right now. We're going to get right back to her. He scratched it out and wrote another question because it was a gotcha question. I'm not LDS, and this is pre predominantly a Mormon <clears throat> culture, and the question had nothing to do with running for Congress, but it had to do with the religion, uh, which, which I found out later. So, yes, there are shenanigans that go on. I, You know, that was our kind of, like, big eye-opener. And... I, I've hosted candidates on my show. I've done roundtables and I've heard from them as well. So there are shenanigans, <clears throat> excuse me, on both sides of the aisle. Absolutely. Well, see, the interesting thing is that, you know, the Trump victory, um, <clears throat> Trump is not a Republican or a Democrat. Um, and the Trump victory basically was like a shot fired in Lexington. And what you have is the establishment is, is you know, we have to be very careful. The establishment is quite insidious, right? They're going to come back stronger than before to try to seize control, either through the Republican or the Democratic establishment, because they're both 
two heads of the same serpent. And the, the history of this country, the way they bamboozle people is to tell people, oh, you got to vote for the Democrat against the Republican or the Republican against the Democrat. When the reality is both of these parties serve the same master, which is, you know, this is not conspiracy theory, what Eisenhower called the military industrial academic complex. And Democrats and Republicans survive by war and sickness and sickness and war profit both of these parties. And the opportunity, the, the, the awesome opportunity we have in Massachusetts is this, you know, the epicenter of the deep state or the military industrial complex, in my opinion, is Harvard University, the epicenter of it, the alpha and the omega. And in many ways, Massachusetts, the elites in Massachusetts are the sewer that feed the swamp in Washington, D.C. And the, the, the problem they have with my campaign is I'm a real American. We're not just talking about a real Indian. You know, I went through legal immigration, work my butt off. You know, I still get up at four in the morning and work to 12. You know, uh, I've started companies, you know, created jobs and I'm articulate, right? I understand the American journey. I understand the process of immigration, education, innovation, which is what America is all about. You know, I connect with everyday working people because those are the people who made, you know, my teachers in New Jersey, you know, people. And again, to your point, my parents never liked private schools, you know? always public schools because my parents felt that's where you learn, you know, to be with everyday people and you struggle and you learn. So those are my roots, which are your roots and everyone else's roots. So they have a serious problem with me because I've, I've learned their ways in their academic institutions and I know all their weaknesses. And so we have a huge opportunity with our campaign because by beating not only Elizabeth Warren, but the establishment, I believe we can set a wave where people can raise their standards. We've been forced and bullied to lower our standards that we should accept people who basically are un-American, who believe in cheating, who believe in lying, that we have to choose the better of two, e two evils, uh, the lesser of two evils. And that is not what America was about. <coughs> and I think that's what our campaign offers. So I think it's a historic opportunity. We know how to beat them. We got them on the run. That's why they have to play all these games. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot of fun for us, you know? But the issue now is, we need to have everyone standing up for themselves. It's not about me or our campaign. It's about people saying, you know what? I'm gonna buy those two signs. Only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. I'm gonna put it on my car, not just to support the campaign, but to say, no one can attack free speech. It can't just be free speech for the elites and to talk about quote unquote diversity and inclusivity. But when you expose someone like Elizabeth Warren of the establishment, then you have to go and find people. That's what the opportunity is because the elites have one yardstick for themselves and another yardstick for others. Part of the thing that you know I stand for is I really believe that, look, public service was re true charity is, you don't try to get a penny out of it. It's not about making money. You, you, you should have, uh, if you wanna go serve in government, you shouldn't even be getting any money in my view. Live like a pauper, go serve and go back. If you had a job, you know, leave your job, go serve and go back. So my opinion is, you know, I'm not going to take one bit of salary, any money that I get, I believe uh, it should be given. In fact, I will give it to working people as scholarship fund. So we're everyday working people can take use of that and fund their kids and any pension I get, it should also be put into a trust. And I want to ask all these other 99 senators, why do you need all this money? Why do you mm -hmm. need all these benefits? Did you not come in for public service? Do you not have a job? That's the real issue. This was supposed to be service. It's not supposed to be a money-making venture. 
And we need to bring back that fundamental issue here. Well, certainly not one to get rich off of. I don't have a problem with people, um, you know, making a living, getting some pay, because we don't want to eliminate the average working man and women from ever earning, you know, wanting to enter into political, the political process and having a voice. Uh, but at the same time, people like Maxine Waters shouldn't go to Washington not having a lot of money. And while she's there, moves out of her district, goes into a multi-million dollar home. And uh, after 25, 30 years, she's still there and now, you know, multi-millionaire. That's not really what our forefathers, I don't think, intended. How do you stand on term limits? I'm a big proponent of term limits. 80% of Americans want term limits. The Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional. And think about the conflict of interest there. The Supreme Court has no term limits. And by the way, I don't know if you know, we as- Which uh, I think they should, by the way. Yeah, Ginsburg, well, we have the right after to- After we've seen Ginsburg, I think we should. At least an age limit, if not a term limit, because uh, it's kind of embarrassing that she falls asleep during a State of the Union address or, you know. Well, we should all, it's not only these congressional offices, it's all the lobbyists in there. You know, the president and many of these positions we think are, very high high positions, meaning have a tremendous amount of authority. The real power rests in these people who are always there in spite of presidents coming and going, right? If you think about someone like Henry Kissinger, you think about someone like Zbigniew Brzezinski, these guys have been in and in there, always in the background as presidents have come and gone. There's a whole nother structure that runs this country that is the unelected structure. Mm -hmm. Those people need to also have term limits because we, we, we have people running this country that we never even elected. And that's something that we need to you know, become aware of. And- so, No, go ahead, please. Yeah, I, I'm saying it, it's not a government by the people for the people. What it is, it's a government by the establishment for the establishment. Mm -hmm. That's what we have today. So I have a question for you. And Obviously, Trump's victory inspired a lot of independent candidates It inspired a lot of people who never thought they would have a home in the political process here in America. But the unfortunate part is it also inspired some wackos, you know, like, I mean, there's some really crazy people that have decided to throw their hats in the ring for this election cycle. Do you feel the heat being an independent candidate of some of these more fringe candidates that have decided to join the process this time around? Well, look, uh, I think, you know, if you look at the uh, fact that people have joined, mm -hmm. um, it, it's a process, right? It's like when a system, I mean, I'm a systems guy. I look at from an engineering system standpoint, um, systems go through what are called inflection points, right? They're like this. And then you have this inflection point and they go to a different state. Um, it's called state changes. So during such an inflection point, you have a lot of chaos. You have all sorts of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Look at the Renaissance did not occur in some beautiful environment. The Renaissance <laughs> occurred at the time when there was plagues and massive chaos, et cetera. Chaos mm -hmm. is good. Uncertainty is good, actually, because it opens up opportunities for things that did not exist before. So I don't know a lot of these fringe candidates. I consider, you know, Elizabeth Warren a fringe candidate, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, because they don't really represent people, right? I consider Republicans and Democrats, by and large, fr fringe because they are united against people. Mm -hmm. So the issue is depending on what we define as fringe, you know, some of these are, um, uh, you know, we, we don't know what fringe 
is when you look at the fact that we've been run by fringe people who don't represent people anymore. Agreed. I think it's all, I think it's good when there's chaos because then the establishment doesn't know how to deal with it. You create uncertain, you create enough uncertainty that it can lead to some new, um, you know, new different states. I say that all the time about Trump's uh, candidacy, which I supported from day one. And when people ask me why, I said, because he's the greatest threat to entrenched power that this country has seen in a very long time because he's not a member of their class. Well, you I, know? Call him, I call him a necessary disruption. Mm -hmm. And if you look at just how politicians have been acting since his election, it shows that not only was that that feeling correct, but it's been very beneficial for the country. Definitely. You know, so I, I wouldn't be I never voted in my life because when I was 17, I remember just, you know, I was at MIT and I thought Jesse Jackson was an anti-establishment candidate. If you remember this and then at the last minute on the floor of the Democratic Convention, he gives all of his votes <coughs> to Mondale saying we have to go, you know, we, the lesser of two evils. That's when I realized that in all of political history, there's always been the establishment. And then there's been the agents of change. The agents of change were not politicians. They were everyday people who took to the streets and built movements. And But the establishment had another insidious aspect of it, which is called the not so obvious establishment, mm -hmm. which is to sucker people who want to do independent movements back into the establishment. That's what Jesse Jackson did. If you look in the recent election, you know, Elizabeth, I mean, um, Hillary Clinton was clearly the establishment candidate. Trump represented the agent of change. And in the midst of that, the establishment threw this wacko, you know, Bernie Sanders, whose goal was to sucker young people from building independent movement back into the establishment. It's a very clever tech in India, the same thing. You mm -hmm. had people in the 1920s wanted to overthrow the British and kick them out. The British were the establishment and then they brought in this guy called Gandhi. Gandhi was not a liberator of India. In fact, he perpetuated Indian suffering for 70 years, you know, uh, essentially, institutionalized Indian corruption. Mm -hmm. So the establishment is very clever in using these not, and, and, the, and, the, and the Republicans will also have it now. They have fake Trumpers running around because they know in Massachusetts, <coughs> 2 million people voted for Hillary, 1 million people voted for Trump. But those 1 million people who voted for Trump, 80% of them were independents. Only, uh, and remember, there's only half a million Republicans. Charlie Baker, the never Trump or Republican governor, told people not to vote for Trump. So who voted for Trump? It was independent-minded people who were anti-establishment. So the Republicans are now running around trying to run fake Trumpers. In fact, we have a guy here, we call him Dirty Deal. He faked a Photoshopped handshake with Trump, three mm -hmm. hands in the picture. He claims he was a Trump co-chair, stole data from, from the, the Trump office. And his, his, his uh, campaign strategist is a Saudi lobbyist. And they're trying to represent him as a Trumper. So the establishment is very, very clever. Mm -hmm. That's why we need to build independent movements. And that's what our campaign is. Although we've had a lot of candidates get in running as uh, Republicans, as I did, because there isn't sometimes in areas a very strong independent uh, movement. But the candidates I know that I've had on my show that are running as Republicans, believe me, are anything but establishment candidates. But many of them won't win. Uh, their primary or win the election because it is hard to be an outsider even in the so-called party you are still an outsider uh, one of my favorite independent candidates is um, and I'm not even sure if they had their primary yet it's in uh, in Missouri is Austin Peterson I've had him on my show several yeah. times I've had Cortland um, Skites on my show uh, as well 
but Josh Hawley is the establishment favorite. Um, and he's been kind of going to be giving us some run for his money if he wins. But I really, I tell you, um, Austin Peterson, the only thing I disagree with him on is he doesn't believe in borders, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, every country should have borders. I've traveled the world and every country I've ever been to, you have to go through immigration, you know, some kind of immigration process, a visa, um, and have borders. But uh, otherwise, he's really, really a great candidate. Um, I want to ask you quickly, if you don't mind, have you had any endorsements? Have you had some some strong endorsements in your campaign? Well, you know, we've had endorsements of lots and lots of local people who support our <laughs> campaign. Um, you know, you could argue that, you know, when you look at the number of people, uh, there's a there's a great uh, video on St. Patrick's Day and we took our bus, two million people. You can see how they reacted to our campaign. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you know, I, I not only did I go to MIT, I used to live out in Hollywood. <laughs> I did read that. I did yeah, actually so, do some research on so you. I know a lot of people <laughs> I could go get endorsements from, but right. I frankly don't like that entire culture mm -hmm. because endorsements from people who are of noteworthiness is not the issue, or that's the old model. The people we need to get endorsements from it's are local everybody. people. It's every yes, everyday people. So we are going to see on our page electricians and plumbers and moms and nurses. Those are the people that I care about. You know, I could you know I just did a movie uh, called Poisoning Paradise, which talks. I'm, I'm the chief scientist, and it's it's won twelve film awards. Um, the the uh, the person who produces Pierce Brosnan and his wife. I'm very close friends with them. I'm not going to go ask them for endorsements. You know, these are friends of mine who I support what they do, but that's not what it's about. The endorsements need to come from every. This is the establishment model. Well, they can't vote for you anyway, correct? I mean, they're well, not. Well, they're they're in California, right? My right. point is, my point is this: if you look at how the establishment runs, right, you get endorsements. Then you do segmentation of data, who you target, right? What is all this? This is about splitting people up, raising people to certain levels, and right. diminishing other people. This is an old model. The new model is that we, the people, run it. You know, the mom that, you know, my mom used to get up at four in the morning and work until 12, okay? She came from India with nothing. I want people like that's endorsement. Those right. are my people. Yeah, that's what I meant, locally, local endorsements. Oh, we've got tons of endorsements. I mean, you can just, I mean, just go to our YouTube channel. You can see how many people, you know, go look at my Twitter and my Facebook and compare it to any of the Republican candidates, you know? We have 10 times more followers. And, and if you do a Twitter audit, they're all authentic. You know, there's not, everyone's a real follower. So I consider that and everyone is organically built. Mm -hmm. So that's why I consider our endorsements. That's why our campaign is so formidable and dangerous because you're looking at someone who came from nothing, went through the American journey, you know, has the quote unquote establishment credentials, but is a street fighter. And that's what's going to make this campaign very, very interesting. And that's why Warren is running around. You know, we've been attacking her on Monsanto. Here's a woman who claims she's against evil corporations, supported the most evil corporation, voted for the Monsanto Protection Act. I'm the one who's been hitting her on it. Now she's saying, oh, I'm against a Bayer-Monsanto merger. I'm for family farms. Nonsense, right? We've been hitting her on Harvard. She's part of the most elite establishment. Harvard is a $40 billion hedge fund. It's a Wall Street hedge fund. She's never said anything against them. Well, when I was at MIT, I was protesting MIT. I, I organized the food service workers. I made sure more poor women, poor blacks, uh, poor whites came in. You know, I've been 
even though I've had to live in these institutions, I've always been a fighter against them. So I think the contradictions are pretty severe, uh, me versus Warren. And I know she's running scared because she typically gets people, people are voting for Warren, pinching their nose, voting for her because it's toxic to be an R. But I offer an alternative, you know, the real Indian, you know, against a fake Indian. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think this is a, this arc, I mean, the, the whole slogan, real Indian, only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. I guarantee you, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, there's probably going to be 10 or 15 PhDs written on that because that slogan resonates so deeply on a ephemeral level. It resonates on a deeper level because it talks about, you know, the institutionalization of corruption. It has so many different layers to it. Mm -hmm. When you come across a slogan like that, it's pretty powerful. Sure sounds like it. Um, what is the number one issue for voters in Massachusetts that you feel that uh, that you've heard from the voters? The number one issue is corruption. Okay, uh, uh, you, you know it's sort of a set of issues that come out of corruption. Number mm -hmm. one, Massachusetts has one of the worst public infrastructures. I don't know if you know it. It was rated forty seventh by the American Institute of Civil Engineers, forty seventh in the nation. We're talking about crumbling subways, highways, etc. But Massachusetts is supposed to be a rich, a rich state. Well, if you think about Massachusetts as this rectangle, it's rich in this very small corridor where MIT and Harvard are. The western part of the state is devastated, right? So, you know, you talk to people who are trying to get into Mass into Massachusetts or Cambridge. I mean, Boston or Cambridge. They're sitting in two, three hours traffic. You know, in subways where there is no heat. You know, in terms of outside waiting, forty seventh rated, three times the national average in the opi in opioid addiction. Wow. Rated uh, F minus in public integrity, corruption. We're talking about the most corrupt states in the United States, run by Democrats and Republicans who come out of what I call the sewer, which is Harvard University. And I say Harvard because if you think about that. The John F. Kennedy School of Government is there, which trains all the CIA agents. You have Harvard Law School. Half of the uh, you know people on the Supreme Court are from Harvard Law School, medical school, educational school. They run it as a conglomerate, and 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 mm -hmm. busting that up, which a lot of people in this country do not know. You look at Washington D.C. and Harvard University. The linkages between there are either direct you know, connection or one degree of freedom away. It's not even six degrees of separation. It's, and Harvard is, is a vehicle that people do. So you go to Harvard and then you automatically get to go, you know, into politics. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about an intellectual elite. It's like, you know, Star Wars in some way, right? The Death Star, there was one singular point and I, I you know, I cannot overemphasize as the epicenter of the deep state, the military industrial complex is Harvard University. And Elizabeth Warren comes out of there. She's never ever said anything against them. Think about it. And the Clintons come out of there too. The, Clintons, seen? the Romneys, the Bakers, the Obamas. Yeah, Romney's running here and uh, I certainly right. have not been a big supporter of his. Um, if you look at the Senate and Congress, almost, uh, I don't know what the percentage is, but I know it's got to be high. There's almost Harvard, Harvard, Harvard Law School, law school well, look, behind I, I, all of them. I dated many years ago a woman who, who was going to Harvard Law School. You know, the new law school opened up a huge bar where people get plastered every night. All right. 
she was saying how most of the law school students are on Adderall or Ritalin, okay, mm-hmm. drugs. Um, how, you know, they have a theater performance every year that they do. And when you go to that theater performance, there's no video or anything. I said, how come they're not videotaping? She goes, oh, all of these kids are planning their, you know, their political careers. They want to pr- start protecting themselves. You see, it's a feeder. They think they are the royalty that deserve to go into Washington. So all of it is rigged for them. It's not, we don't have democracy in this country. And that's why busting these people up and exposing them is critical part of our campaign because we need to recognize that both of these parties work together. They're, and, and, you know, electing someone like me who's a real American, you know, I represent most Americans and any of these people too. And it's time that we put real Americans in office who have the grit, determination, who know what work means, the value of work. That's what this country was built on. And the other interesting thing to note in Massachusetts is the massive gap for every 17 skilled job openings. Listen to the statistic, 17 skilled high-tech job openings. So there's 17 job openings, only one person is skilled. Think about that. So mm-hmm. what have these politicians created? They're not creating skilled labor. They're, it's the mecca of education. We have people coming out with massive student loan debt, learning stuff that's frankly useless, yet thinking they're so bright and smart. They can't program, they can't you know, engineer anything, they can't fix anything. They're, we don't have enough electricians, we don't have enough plumbers. And by the way, these are high paying jobs. Absolutely, I know plumbers that make more than doctors. They make oh, a lot yeah. of money. And by the way, we don't produce Obamacare and Romney care have destroyed the the family practice. I was just going to ask you about that. My husband's a doctor, but I was going to ask you about that because Romney started the Romney Care Massachusetts. And one of the reasons that he said, he claimed why it worked there and it wouldn't work for the country when Obama was doing it is because uh, Massachusetts had the people voted for it because there are a lot of, you know, Massachusetts is fairly wealthy and felt like they could afford to help take care of the less fortunate. But now you're telling me that's only a small minority of people in a small segment of Massachusetts who are the elites and the rest of Massachusetts oh, yeah, is it's suffering. So, yeah, so, so that's kind of a misnomer then. Of well, by the way, saying. since you bring up Mitt Romney, you know, Mitt Romney, um, I don't know what, what else to say, but this guy is a, is a complete carpetbagger, okay? He, you know, I don't know if you know the opioid epidemic, we have a guy, which we're going to talk about, uh, a, a guy that we came across, amazing doctor, helped 250,000 patients over 20 years. Um, uh, you know, the opioid recidivism rate is 95%, right? You can send people to rehab. You can send people uh, a methadone. It's 95% recidivism. This doctor came up with a way, in-home detox programs for pennies on the dollar, only 50% recidivism. The swamp in Massachusetts threw this guy in jail for eight months because of, of, because he was completely disrupting the old models. Mitt Romney made close to $750 million, three quarters of a billion dollars by aggregating methadone clinics and flipping them. That's Romney. People want, there's a swamp economy. They don't really want to solve opioid. The opioid e- e- epidemic actually is supporting a whole swamp economy. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I, my PhD is in biological engineering. You know, one of the companies I'm running, we have figured out a revolutionary way, like email, Cytosol is in fact more revolutionary. We can literally uh, discover new medicines and d- new drugs at a fraction of the time. 
But the reality is big pharma, as I like to say, is the disease and prevention is really the cure. Mm-hmm. And that is never discussed in any of this healthcare debates. You know, food, clean food, what you eat, none of that. What we've done is we, Elizabeth Warren, by the way, voted for Monsanto, one of the most evil corporations, which has destroyed the public food supply in this country. Yes, it has. And it's going to yeah. destroy Europe's as well because it's moving into Europe, yeah. which is really sad uh, because they have always been very careful about their uh, GMOs and, you know, making sure that everything's organic and their their cows graze or grass fed and everything. And that's yeah, not going to happen. Syria and, Syria and Russia are both into non-GMO, into organic food, you know? And, you know, Henry Kissinger, uh, who I consider a war criminal, okay? As well you should. What's that? As well you should. Yeah, here's a guy who said, if you want to control a country, control their oil. If you want to control people, control their soil. So the globalists in this country have destroyed not only the soil of this country, but they've destroyed the soil of every other country. Africa used to have thousands of different types of grains. Now they have like 10 or five, right? That's Mm -hmm. where the hunger and the poverty comes from. And Bill Gates is part of that. And the thing is, this is why we need engineers and scientists and working people actually build stuff in government because we actually understand this stuff. We don't need 20 layers of political consultants. We can look at these problems. We have solutions for them. And that's what we need. We need to go back to very important basics. Get rid of these politicians. Republicans and Democrats both suck. They do not serve people. Mm -hmm. They only serve themselves. And we, we can't have any excuses for it anymore. We don't need to support these parties. We need to support individuals, their values, their record, and what they've actually done. And by the way, you know, our campaign, we've built some amazing infrastructure, data infrastructure, which we're, we want to give away to other candidates. The reason the Democrats and Republicans survive is they have access to data. And by the way, if you look at their FEC statements, for every $1 they raise, 90 cents is going to their cronies. Mm-hmm. It's not like you need to raise this much money. It's a whole scam. When these political campaigns run, it's a vehicle for all their buddies to make. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. When I ran, um, I pretty much self-funded. I did get some donations, but I actually had some people, some groups who wanted to come over and take over my campaign. And I knew exactly why, because they wanted to make money off of it. And I said, absolutely not. Nobody's getting in. I'm in control. And candidates that I have... um, kind of coached. I did coaching for a while, candidates. I said, one thing you have to keep in mind, you are the bottom line, you're in charge. So if your campaign's doing something that you don't agree with, if you if you don't like, you better have a sit down talk with them. Because one thing was for sure, I knew where every single penny of my campaign was going to. And I used the sources that I had to get my signs, my advertising, my everything, because I knew I worked with them before and other events and things that that I wanted every penny that came to my campaign to be used for the campaign, not to make me or anybody else rich. And I was very adamant about that. But I, but I had people trying to come in and hijack my campaign. And I'm sure they do it to a lot of other candidates yeah, well, as well. well see, see, that's what I'm saying. If you have ever run a business, if you ever had to start something from scratch, every penny matters. Elizabeth Warren's never run a business right? She's never had to really- Most of these can't, most of these politicians never have. Exactly. So, you know, you know, friends of mine who worked on the Trump campaign talked about how frugal he's, well, 
that's how most people should be. You know, you spend things like on education, et cetera, if you want to learn stuff, but you should be frugal, right? Every penny does count. Th that's what I'm saying. These core virtues and values have been ripped away um, from people at a deep level. And it's unfortunate because it's taking something away from young people. So I, I think that's what our campaign's about. It's like, let's go back to basics. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Election day comes and goes, and you are the new senator from Massachusetts. What what do you start working on day one? What is your first issue that you would like to tackle? Look, uh, we actually, it's a great thing. On our website, you're going to see we have about 16 items. We, we're building videos on them. We're actually drafting bills right now, and they're going to be coming up shortly. You can see them. But one of the one of the main issues is let's talk about health care, all right? Mm -hmm. Uh, 20% uh, of the GDP now is healthcare. One of the most important ways to solve health is to address the public food supply and prevention. And that equation is never taken. So one of the big things we wanna tackle is healthcare. Uh, one of the first things we wanna do is to outlaw kickbacks to GPOs. I don't know if you know who, who they are. GPOs are, it's a very interesting thing. I've been looking at this healthcare puzzle. After six months, I figured out how to solve it. Um, Bottom line is a 50 cents hamburger is selling for half a million dollars. That's what's fundamentally going on in this country. A, a 50 cents hamburger is going for, hold on one second. I'm just going to, I'm just going to plug this in because we're about to lose battery power. One second. Sure. Um, but what we have is a 50 cents hamburger is selling for half a million dollars. And what I mean by that is a, a $2 generic drug, and I can give you many, many examples is selling for $32,000. How did this happen? Around the 70s, big pharma, big hospitals, and big insurance got together. And what they did was, uh, so Halsey and, and Debbie, if you guys create a drug, let's say you're a drug manufacturer, you create a killer drug. You wanna get that drug over to the end patient. Well, how does that drug get there? It can go through two vehicles, inpatient and outpatient. Inpatient meaning you can get it while you're in the hospital, the doctor prescribes it, which mm -hmm. means a hospital brought the drug or you can go at CVS or Walgreens. Well, how does the drug get to those places? Well, it goes through distributors. Well, how does it go from the drug manufacturer to the distributor? Well, there are people called GPOs, group purchasing organizations. In the 1990s, these people were given the right to get kickbacks. Nearly close to half a trillion dollars goes through them. And they're literally marking up stuff to levels you and I have no idea what's going on. And those GPO kickbacks need to be made illegal. That's one of the first things I'd go after. That there, right away, you start lowering the cost of drugs. The other thing we need to do is the NIH budget. You know, today, uh, the National Institute of Health is the one that controls research on the future of medical research. If you look at the NIH, who sits on the board of the NIH to fund research, you'll find the collusion between them, the, you know, probably the 10 major institutions. Harvard included among them. So 67% of the funding goes to those major institutions. So we don't really do a lot of innovative research in medicine, frankly. It's all insider rigged, and I can get more into that. Part of that is to bust that up and to actually fund more research in you know, other forms of medicine beyond pharma. And mm -hmm. there's many, many, many other things. You know, Four years ago, uh, the number of people going to alternative medical practitioners increased, took over, um, traditional, you know, conventional medicine, which says what's going on in this country right now is people do not trust big hospitals. By the way, 
three out of five chance if you go to a big hospital, you're going to walk out a two to two to two out of five with some other infectious disease. Mm -hmm. We've lost a primary care physician. We have that. I can tell you that's what my husband. He ran a practice, his own practice. He went to it's med very school. difficult to do that anymore. Yeah, he he went to med school at nineteen, so he was way ahead of wow. his peers and opening up his own practice. He opened his first practice at twenty eight, um, and started building buildings that would house his practice and use real estate and his practice as a source of income. And I can tell you, he got out of it a few years ago, sold to um, uh, Intermountain Healthcare because it became, like you said, very difficult to have uh, to continue to run in the environment, particularly after the last eight years, um, you know, private practice. He had the largest private practice wow. in Utah. He taught the school of nursing. He hired five doctors. He hired often his students, nurses that he had to come and work in his practice. Had a very successful, huge practice. Uh, I mean, he he made a lot of money for when he sold uh, to IMC. But it, it is really difficult, and it's really really sad that we're losing private practices. Other than say your specialties like you know, um, yeah, plastic surgery and 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 things like that, or dentistry. Well, We've lost private practice and we're losing that personal touch. And the very, I just want to tell you this story really quick. The very doctors that worked in the practice, the very practice my husband's finally sold because he got sick of the whole thing. Um, but we're, we're, we're doing great. But uh, those doctors I now see, and I had to go for an appointment. Of course, they had to hire now hospital staff, not the practice staff, for scheduling. They overschedule, overbook, of course. I waited an hour and a half. My husband went in a race came. He said, if I ran my private practice like that, I wouldn't have had a practice last a year. This is absolutely un uh, unbelievable. Um, and I've talked about this in talking about socialized medicine and also what's happened to the VA because many veterans have, have experienced this. And waiting sometimes two years to see a doctor yeah did we lose you you guys there no i'm here yeah i mean it's it's an interesting thing you know when you really look at this whole thing um what you find out is there are some key things that we can do one is ending gpo kickbacks which saves a ton of money the other is the way you lower the cost of medicine is we don't produce in the last uh, 15 years, we've lost nearly 250,000 primary care practitioners. They've all had to go to big hospitals. Mm -hmm. So why do they do that? You know, my sister went to Harvard Medical School. You come out with a lot of loans. So you have, you go to undergraduate school for four years, right? And then you go to medical school and then you do some type of residency. Let's say that's two to four years. So, and then you're hit with all these regulations. So first thing, I, one of the first bills I would do is eliminate the need to go to four years, you know, college. You don't need to go to that. You should be able to go right from high school, right into medical school. Many other countries do this very successfully. Right away, you've taken off those four years. St students go into either a four or five year program. And we need, we need to create much more, pri uh, prim more primary practitioners. The other thing is that there are a number of physicians now who are doing essentially direct payment. Right. I think the insurance model should be you have crisis care, you know, where which means you and I should be able to go to, you know, one of the large reinsurance where we can get, you know, probably for uh, 70, 80, 100 dollars a month, relatively low reinsurance or for catastrophic insurance. And we should start thinking about ourselves and take responsibility for our health. I agree 100 percent with that. Yeah. 
because you know I pay whatever a thousand bucks a month. You know, I try to take care of my health, eat well. I don't even use that knock on wood, right? But what they have done is a. It took me a while to figure out. Insurance companies want high hospital cost. They actually want high drug cost. Why? Because their entire business model is based on the premium. So they, if they get a small five percent increase in the premium, that's you know tens of millions of or hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So they want healthcare costs to be high, which is very counterintuitive, but they want it to be high because then you and I are running around scared of, you know, oh shit, what happens if something happens to me, right? I need insurance. So they've done a model that we actually have to go get insurance. So we need to, the way to bust that up is you increase the number of doctors, eliminate the doctor's need, increase NPs, nurse, you know, practitioners, pay them more, and then put responsibility on people. But to your point, Debbie, real health comes through the interaction between the patient and the doctor. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was a healer in a small village in India. You know, she was a farmer 16 hours a day, but she practiced traditional systems of Indian medicine, but it was all through one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, she, what you would call personalized medicine, she, she did. I saw her empirically heal many, many people, but it was the interaction and the caring between the practitioner. And that's where healing takes place. Absolutely. Yeah. So it doesn't come from big hospitals. No, my husband actually continues. He still has his license. We have our building. Uh, he continues to, to see often many of his longtime patients. Uh, not, not if it's anything serious, he will refer them. But, you know, uh, and he does it for free. He's been giving free health care now for many years because he still cares about these people. And talking about taking responsibility for yourself, um, we often joke that we had a little show, the Dr. Bill and Debbie show. We joke about, uh, I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Oz, like I'm the Lisa to his Oz. He, he's Dr. Oz. I've always been to, into holistic, um, Ayurvedic uh, kind of holistic approach. I always uh, avoid... Um, you know, the chemical drug, if I can try something holistically first, but I always say the two can work together. We don't want to get rid of, you know, traditional well, medicine, but right. we need to also take responsibility for our healthcare and try other things. So it kind of works tandem together. And I've taught him a lot. And he actually will refer to me and say, we well, need to talk to Debbie about the nutrition and about these things. Um, because I think more, and more doctors, I think, and hopefully medical schools will get there well, they, where they will start integrating the two, you know, uh, philosophies of medicine and holistic medicine, traditional medicine, I guess, and holistic medicine. Well, well you have to understand, you know, uh, so this is one of my areas that I in, enjoy. There's an institute we've set up called Systems Health where we teach the integration of Eastern and Western medicine. It came out of my Fulbright work and out of my deep interest in Eastern medicine as well as you know Western medicine. But one of the things that you realize is that Western medicine came out at the time of Florence Nightingale when she saw the Crimean War where soldiers were dying on the battlefield uh, and were not dying on the battle from being shot, but when they came to the hospitals because there was not enough care. So she, she was not a nurse. She was a, uh, a member of the Royal Society of Statistics. This woman uh, had a huge vision. Florence Nightingale, in many ways, is the, you know, the mother, the architect of the modern healthcare system. But that healthcare system was about putting a soldier back on the field. It was for crisis management, which is excellent at that. So God forbid you get involved in a major mm -hmm. crisis or an accident, you know, something happens to your hand. Western medicine is great, but it knows nothing about prevention. It wasn't designed for that. 
Eastern systems of medicine were designed for prevention. And so both of them can work together. But what we've done is we've taken the crisis management system of medicine and said, that's going to solve everything, which is drugs, right? Which is invasive therapies when there's whole other systems of medicine, which can do that. So to your point, both, but people need to understand that this system of medicine was created for putting a soldier back on the field. This system of medicine was created for sustaining life and living in, you know, um, you know, in a holistic way with the environment around us. Both of them are necessary. God forbid something catastrophic occurs, but this one is not supposed to be for healthcare. In fact, it's funny that we even call it healthcare. Absolutely. But when you do the holistic approach or the preventative approach, when you have to go to the Western or, or the putting the, the soldier back on the field, a catastrophic approach, you know, uh, that's necessary. You're actually in better shape because you've been doing this to right. then deal with this. And exactly. I can attest to that because I've always been uh, athletic. I've always uh, eaten holistically, organically. I made my kids own baby food. I did all this kind of stuff. Like I was a hippie before it was a cool or a granola or whatever you want to call it. I didn't even know it. I just did it. Um, I think because I grew up in Europe and, and people do those kinds of things. But I can tell you I had a really bad accident and had to have back surgery. And I uh, had a fusion, blew my back up, uh, four screws in my back. But even the doctors were pretty amazed how quickly I bounced back from that. They said I was a model patient. I immediately wanted off the uh, drugs. I, I wanted to get up walking. Uh, oh, you know, I just great. kept pushing, pushing myself. But I know for a fact that had I not done those things prior to, I wouldn't have been able to have recovered as quickly. That not be, might not be in every case because our, our you know, biological makeup is also different. But it certainly helps. It doesn't. It never hurts. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we're, we're running out of time. Uh, Dr. Shiva, what message do you want to leave the, the viewers with? We'll be sending this out on our email list tomorrow, the link to this, and, and there's some people watching right now. What do you want to be the takeaway from, from this evening's uh, message? I think the most important takeaway is people need to understand that they have choice, that they should not be bullied. You know, people have been bullied for far too long by both of these parties that they have to vote for one party or the other party, that it's not about the individual, it's not about character and integrity. And people need to recognize that they have choice. You know, in Massachusetts, they have a choice with our campaign because we're we're a, not only just an alternate, but we wanna raise the standards. For far too long in America, we've lowered our standards and we've accepted despicable behavior. We've ex accepted people to represent us who have no right representing us. So the key message is, you know, the establishment is for the establishment. And what we need is we need a government for the people and by the people. And Massachusetts, where the cradle of the American Revolution took place, and it's my sincere view that we have an opportunity for a second American Revolution. And our campaign, by not only defeating Elizabeth Warren, but also defeating the establishment of Republicans and Democrats gives a huge inspiring hope that we as Americans take back our country, which is what the founders of this country wanted. The founders of this country were architects, blacksmiths, engineers. These people were geniuses on all levels and they sincerely cared for this country. They sacrificed, they came to serve. And that's what our campaign is about. So I think our campaign is a historic campaign that gives people what they deserve. So the key message is people should raise their standards, declare their independence, and most importantly, only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. I love it. I love it. Dr. Shiva, thank you so much for joining Thanks us, lot, Debbie. Thanks yeah. for joining.
And we look forward to seeing you come out on top on election day. I really yeah. hope that, that your campaign is successful. But again, people should go to shivaforsenate.com and buy those real Indian warrior kits, put them on your car, drive them around, have a lot of fun with them. Well, if you come back and visit New Jersey and see my car, you'll see one on it. That's okay, great. Sure. Thanks. Thank so you. Nice thanks. to meet you. Thank thanks, you so thanks, much. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks, Halsey. Thanks very much. Thanks, very much. No problem. Take care. Thank you.